Greetings, everybody. My name is Liz Ryerson, and this is the 25th episode of Beyond the Filter. Yes, that's right, number 25. Slowly but surely making our way into double digits. Anyway, for this episode, I asked the Honorable Justin Charity to return, and we had a more free-form sort of discussion about politics pop culture, music, video games, etc. than usual. So I hope you enjoy. So to start out with, Justin's going to introduce himself. I'm Justin Charity. I'm a staff writer for The Ringer. I write about music and politics and popular culture and bullshit and nonsense. And I am a podcaster. I'm a co-host of a podcast called Damage Control, uh, which is loosely about things people are angry about online and offline a podcast about things that people are angry about (laughs) wow you guys really have it (laughs) that's some innovation silicon valley (laughs) level innovation right there it's true i like rage i'm sorry i just like i like thinking about I like thinking about the dynamics of rage because I think people are condescending online a lot of the time when they when they talk about like quote unquote outrage culture. But I do think it's legitimately fascinating the the ways in which like the ways in which so much culture seems designed to exploit people's I think anxieties and their boredom and all sorts of other things and just make people angry for what seems objectively like no reason or out of like completely malicious reasons i don't know i think it's fascinating i think rage is more fascinating than people get well the the problem that i've that i'm sure you've come up against too is that like if you interrogate that to a certain point people become a little bit more uncomfortable especially like when you're talking about media you're challenging the notion that we should be investing too much in these media figures to begin with, and coming from the perspective of somebody who's like a media critic, I'm sure that that makes your colleagues uncomfortable sometimes, or, or I've witnessed it making them uncomfortable, I should say. Well, in what sense? Like, what's a good example of that? Um, I don't know. Like, I listened to uh, this podcast episode that you were on that was really good. It wasn't on your podcast. I can't remember what it was. Somebody mentioned... Was it the Relentless Picnic? I, I think, think so. Yeah, somebody okay. mentioned the goop in your Grinch thing, which I'm still <laughs> laughing <not> about. Because <laughs> that's like a just, it's just like piss take on like a, a pitchfork review, but it's like, it's, it's perfect. I don't know. I'm actually really, I, I'm amused. And I think this is the thing that we can like get into talking about, but I'm, I feel amused about the differences between I I mean I guess I could say generally just like new media and old me, old media but like more specifically f- from my perspective coming from sort of video games world the media landscape is actually I mean it's the same in some ways but it's actually quite different in a lot of sort of crucial ways to other forms of media like I think music, the music industry, the movie industry, the art world, like a lot of them have these sorts of patterns that are kind of interchangeable between them, but I don't think it necessarily applies as much to games, and I don't necessarily think that that's a good or a bad thing. It's just uh, a result of like a, a landscape being newer or whatever. I feel like I totally changed the subject from what you asked me. 
What <laughs> about rage? I mean, I we can cover a lot of ground, Liz. We got time today. By the way, you're my first repeat guest, and this is the 25th episode, so it's a perfect, Dang, perfect. Nice. The the famous Justin Charity, the esteemed <laughs> Justin Charity. No, I mean you were you were all over <laughs> when the when Kanye West thing exploded. You 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 preempted it with your opinion by a day, like. <laughs> Oh right! Wait, wait! I'm trying to remember. Uh, it felt. It feels like it happened four years ago at this point. Yes. Was it? I think. I think the moment he. I think the moment Kanye West returned to Twitter during the period where everyone's like, Kanye's back. This is great. I was like, and he's like, Fuck the, this. he's doing this like. <laughs> well, he was doing this like kind of like mindfulness meditation type talk, like this very like new agey like self empowerment stuff, and it's like things that I didn't really necessarily disagree with, honestly. But I knew that like something else was probably going to be coming, so I'm like kind of. And then you you made a tweet that you said like it's amazing how like uh, music criticism fanfic Kanye out of being a Trump supporter, but uh, or Taylor fan, Swift, it but fan. Fanfic Taylor Swift into being a Trump supporter, yeah. And then, like, a bunch of people had, uh, you know, were commenting on that. And then, like, a day or two later, Kanye's like, yes, I like Trump. (laughs) (laughs) That was, yeah. Oh, man. So you had the the moral high ground. Listen. uh, (laughs) Having the moral high ground about, like, rappers is the... I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm partially joking, but still like in in the take economy, I feel like yeah. you're you're at the top right now. You're at the top of your game. Uh <laughs> except for the fact that it means that I have to keep writing about Kanye West now, which feels like a sort of nadir. <laughs> yeah, that is really unfortunate and I was like not going to bring that up, but I already brought it up. <laughs> I got a vet. That's why I'm here. I got a vet. Well, yeah, like, I I mean, the obvious point with, um, you know, with any entertainer like that is it's a bad idea to invest um, in their public image or persona, especially when you were, like, sort of selectively ignoring a lot about their image or persona. Um, uh, But, like, because, like... It it's you like you don't have to look very hard at Kanye West to see he's like kind of a reactionary figure, um, you know, in the way that he's like approached his music and stuff. And I think like the the main point that I was like that was rattling around in my head here that I wanted to make here is that I think with musicians especially, um, people don't know how to express or talk about when a piece of music like works and when it's good like for example in like a lot of Kanye West tracks there's like um an effective use of sampling or whatever or or it's it's like the tracks are like fairly well conceived and well produced um and they're doing something a little different and like that is something that should be celebrated I mean I think that's one of the reasons why like you know, like lemonade, for, for example. I I keep fucking mentioning that. I'm I'm I apologize to everyone, but like, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's why that album is is good to me because it's like, um, or at least like you know, from a personal standpoint. Obviously, this is not the only way to look at it, but like, 
I think there are really sort of brilliant sort of musical elements that are coming into play and people don't really necessarily know how to articulate that or express that or celebrate that. So instead, I think people celebrate, people are more likely to empathize or sort of invest in these characters than know how to express like, oh, this piece of music is good and this person is good at doing this. Right. Um, and this thing that, that I was worried about, and <laughs> I guess it's come up again with like Grimes now, because <laughs> um, she's she was dating Elon, Elon Musk. Elon. Yeah. How Musk. do you feel about this? How do you? Because I, I've seen you tweeting. I've seen everybody tweeting about. I, I mean, Elon I'm. And... I mean, I'm <laughs> sad. Um, but <laughs> but the, the thing is, I was like, I was not a fan of Grimes until like her last album, and then I sort of came on board. Um, I mean, like it's it's easy to um, it's easy to project any kinds of um, ideas or motivations or ideologies onto these figures um, in a way that's like really difficult because especially the more sort of successful you are in a particular career, the more that you're sort of uh, way of looking at things is insulated into that career path and so you have like very bizarre you're more likely are not aware of what's going on in the world just in the way that like Kanye was not aware that there was like a Muslim ban um sorry go ahead were you saying something? no sorry I didn't I, no, I, didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt there oh, okay um but it's like I feel like that that reality that um, a lot of these celebrities live in is pretty insulated and um, so and that's just an inherent part of being that type of person um, and yeah like sometimes I'm like you know f fuck all celebrities and rich people or whatever because uh, <laughs> like it's hard not to feel that way sometimes um, but I think like the the thing that I worry about is like risking like when someone sort of becomes a reactionary figure being like oh okay their music was always bad like this these weird revisionist takes um i feel like taylor swift is a good example of that because i never was super into her music and i never saw what was so bad about that track that everyone said was terrible <laughs> and i feel like just public opinion shifted on her somehow um yeah taylor swift is actually i think she's a doubly interesting example because she's both an example of um, sort of overnight revisionist takes sort of pouring out of the woodwork from not just random people on the internet but from music critics um, so she's a, she's a good example of somebody who is recently the subject of revisionist takes and she's a good example of someone who I think is just like critics' reasons for turning on her, I don't think critics could actually explain to you in a very coherent way. Like, if they were trying to account for the shift in their thinking, what they would tell you would be a bunch of things about her being, like, a Trump supporter, allegedly, and it would be a bunch of shit that you'd listen to and be like, wait, what? What does that have to do with anything? Also, like, there's... One, there's, it doesn't sound true. There's, two, like, no proof for that. There's I haven't seen any... <laughs> political statements that she's made in the last there's whatever. more evidence to the contrary than there is in support of the thing in support of the observation that led a lot of that 
supposedly let a lot of people to turn on Taylor Swift. It's this like um, it's this weird like ritual sacrifice impulse that people have with celebrities. Like it it, it just like it's hard for me to not. Um, I have trouble with the fact that people can't recognize and identify that they're doing this or they just don't really care. But this idea of like building somebody up way more than they should be and then and then tearing them down uh, way more than they should be. Right. And it's weird because even that phrase, like that phraseology right there, it seems it's so familiar as to read like a cliche. And yet what you're saying is totally true that people just don't acknowledge when it happens that it's a it's a generic phenomenon that's happening and not actually any sort of specific response to any specific thing in a lot of cases yeah it does seem animalistic or if not animalistic it seems ritualistic i feel like you know contrary to like uh a lot of the people who would say that things have like you know, act- actions and actors have heightened political significance, and there seems like everything seems hyper important now. I feel like often, oftentimes people are more reactionary now, and what that means is that things that we were already inclined to do, we're just doing them like five times as intensely. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What's an example? I'm trying to think of an example in my life that I'm doing five times more than. Am I tweeting more? Well, you know? I'm just like, I, like I, I was kind of a, a light leftist, I guess, before left okay. Twitter became a thing, and then, right. and then it's like I get mad about Russia Gate, you know, for example. So I keep posting about like, why are people fixating on this? this is a really bad idea? And then the people who are really into Russia Gate are like, oh my god, we need to post more about this, you know? I, I need, I need everyone to see, <laughs> you know? And it's just like. I don't know. It's this in like increasing sort of cult. <laughs> cults. Yeah, the the pro RussiaGate stuff is interesting because that to me, that's an online culture that really has recruited a lot of people who you would think would have better things to do for most of the week into a weird. They think they're part of this weird shadow investigation in the basement of the FBI where they it's like they're looking for clues too. And it's just like, what is this? I watch those people interact with like an Eric Garland on Twitter. And these people, I mean, they really are sort of anti-BizarroSnopes.com, right? Where they are, they spend all day churning out, churning out text, right? Like text of just nonsense. It's, it's that's intense. That is, that is definitely. I, I mean, it's, it's. Right? It's basically political fan fiction, right? Like to contrast with the the pop culture fan fiction that we have everywhere. Right. Totally. I I don't know. I don't it... Get rid of all this fan fiction. I here's the thing. <laughs> I used to love fan fiction. What happened? Well, Why fan fiction you... <laughs> is it's fun when like people say that it's actual fan fiction, like they acknowledge right. it. That is a key part of fan fiction culture, I guess. Also, <laughs> like acknowledging that it's fan fiction. All of that, like bizarro Sonic fan fiction, feels so much more pure and and good <laughs> than than anything. Yes. That is, uh, <sighs> somebody posted, uh, or this was back when like Twin Peaks was on the air. There was a uh, this clip of it. Uh, the, 
like David Lynch and the the investigators, the like FBI investigators were watching this video and David Lynch reacts and is like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> and then somebody like superimposed this like famous video of this guy being like, here's the hottest characters in Sonic the Hedgehog, one of the most <laughs> attractive characters. <laughs> and, and And that was... That was my favorite. I feel like, I I uh, so I feel like the uh, Russia Gate stuff appeals a lot more to older people of a certain the people of a certain yeah. age, um, and there's this like um, I think it's like it's an inability to understand like how culture has changed, how information is different. Or and it's also an inability to acknowledge that maybe like our institutions were not functioning with the degree of effectiveness that um, people in certain degrees, certain parts of insulated realities where they didn't have to face this stuff as much um, uh, were able to see. So I think it's like it, it's a natural reaction to be like, um, you know, let's 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 suss this out and let's like let's kick these crooks out of office or whatever and like um and i think like because of that like a lot of this other stuff that is there 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 are a handful of people out there who have like minimal expertise minimal to no expertise someone like eric garland who can still say that he has more political knowledge than the average person um, which I don't even know if that's true, but <laughs> because he was like some kind of consultant or whatever, can be like, hey, look, like I know how these things work. I like I understand game theory or whatever. Um, <laughs> and people are like, oh shit, this guy's an insider. He knows, you know. Right. Um, and so it's kind of abu- it's kind of abusive, honestly. It's like these people are, like are taking advantage of the sort of confusion and um, fear and in a, in a really weird way and leading people in all kinds of like bizarro directions um, with it. Yeah. And it's weird too, because they're, I mean, I don't know so much of the current decade and the current year. um, I always have to gut check myself and remind myself that, Oh, like American political history has always been weird and bizarre in certain ways. And so, yeah, on the one hand, I remind myself that people have always been hot and bothered and unreasonable about democratic politics. But it is also true that the media and the channels and the, the communities that people have formed to play out all of the drama and all of the fan fiction of contemporary political culture just seem unprecedented in various ways in terms of their dynamics, in terms of their influence. Well, that's, that's what seems stressful to me about it. Yeah. Well, the thing that I find really bizarre is like, you know, there's the, a lot of people have sort of disproven the idea that history is shaped by, by great individuals or by, you know, by great men, by great individuals. I mean, I, I do think that, like, certain individuals um, can have much more power to sort of shape the course of history. But it feels like 
it feels like basically we're in this point where this cast of like rotating characters that's about 20 people is like sort of defining everything about our popular culture and they sort of come up in weird ways. It's like Kanye West and Elon Musk and like Donald Trump and like, you know, like a handful of these other people and like reality feels really weirdly small, um, but in this way that's really bad. <laughs> Um, because it's these same people who are like honestly probably utterly clueless about like many aspects of the world who have like so much power and probably don't even understand that they have that much power <laughs> um like like you know some like Kanye West's whole image is like wow wow I have so much power you know like um or it's sort of like playing upon that in various ways but I think even he like probably doesn't understand or probably minimizes in some way the uh, amount of or maybe he doesn't I don't know maybe that's not a good example but like most people who are in that situation um you have to still see yourself and act like a normal person um and I think of this in terms of like like the tech world in particular, where there's this like sort of perpetual underdog uh, view to everything, which is just increasingly like has nothing to do with reality because the tech world has so much power <laughs> over everything right now. Um, but um, I think it's really common for people in those situations to sort of minimize the amount of power that they have. Um, because if they had to deal with reality, um, it would be horrifying. Like they would have to acknowledge that, like, it is really bizarre that that a person in their situation really actually has that much power um, to shape culture and everything. And um, that's the that's almost scarier to me than someone who's like a megalomaniac. Um, although there are like people who are megalomaniacs out there, um, because it's like it's the more sort of human side of like I, I don't understand like uh, uh, basically refusing to acknowledge um, the on the things that are like on their face the the fucked up aspects of our culture and uh, refusing to acknowledge like the horror of just the fact that like so few individuals define so much about like our public life from politics to celebrities to the tech world etc i feel like a thing that's hard to pin down is is so on the one hand in that scenario right it's the if you're one of the one of the 20 in that cast of characters like you said you're sort of avoiding confronting the reality of having as much influence as you do but it's also there's sometimes when I locate the the influence and the power in that member of that cast of characters that is the American narrative, and there are other times when I locate it in media, right? Because like the fact that the cast of characters even is who it is, that it's like Beyonce, Donald Trump, Robert Mueller, Kanye, what you know what I mean? It's there's a reason why it's that cast and not like. I don't know, Mohammed bin Salman. And like, there's a reason why that cast of characters, why one of its more subtle qualities is that it is this very insular American, 
sort of the rest of the world doesn't exist and America effectively exists as this sort of closed stage play. Mm -hmm. Because to me, that is very much what American politics right now would have to look to somebody standing from like a third person perspective, right? Because it's, it's this, if you contrast how Americans thought about politics in the previous decade, a lot of Americans were like feverishly obsessed with the rest of the world, right? Like after 9-11. And now we're in a decade where no American cares about anything happening outside of, of again, that, that cast of 20 <laughs> and, and that sort of like national narrative. Yeah. And I think that, I think those two things are, I think the phenomenon of how we sort of think of the American narrative right now and who's, who the stars of the American narrative are is very much in conversation with the fact that America has sort of closed its political imagination to the rest of the world. It's it's such a self parody. Like it's it's like that band that that you liked. Uh, <laughs> it's is now releasing like twenty albums a year of self parody. <laughs> I think I think I'm thinking specifically of the band Guided by Voices because I used to be a big fan and like then they and they like had a um they had like a, a final sh- tour or whatever they broke up and then eight years later they reformed and within like three years released like eight albums and they all sound exactly the same and are not oh. good. Oh. <laughs> that's like the that's the self parody. That's <laughs> how we all go out. That's how we all go out, Liz. <laughs> that's what happens when you're like forced to double down on your takes right right no that's exactly well when i heard the kanye west like poopa loop thing <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it made me think of because like this is somebody who has been called a genius enough times to where he might actually think that that's a really smart thing that he's doing right <laughs> like people are like, like really oh no movie. he's just trolling but no, I like I don't think he's trolling. Well, what do you think he's doing? <laughs> well, it's I think he's doing the same thing that he did on that song Thirty Hours, where he just decided to like spend the ha- the the next half of the song being like, Yeah, this is this is gonna be great when I put more stuff on yeah. it. <laughs> that is and I love thirty hours. I would say I love thirty hours. You're right, he's like talking to Andre P thousand. He's like talking on the phone at one point. And he's like his manager. There's one part where he's just like and then 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 I'm gonna go places and then do other things and yeah. That's what that makes me think of. That's what it's like increasingly sort of weird and erratic. Right. Um I mean that's like the end point though. I don't know. I just like I I recognize that in like in Guided by Voices. That's because um, the dude from that band is like somebody who's like, oh my god, he's a genius songwriter. He writes like the best songs, and I feel like that's the the danger of calling someone a genius enough times. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, I feel like we're. We're rambling, but it's all it's all it's all good stuff. We're not rambling. What we're really doing, I think, is we're hopping back and forth between politics and music. <laughs> we're pooping and back and forth forever. We're pooping back and forth. <laughs> it's just it's I think we're doing that because that is where I mean, I don't know, that's that's like the story of my life for the past two years is is pendulating between Okay, we all have to get serious now. I have to go back to my original journalistic beat, which is politics 
and I have to write like captivating, mind-shattering essays to wake America up from its nightmarish zombie state. And being like, no, I guess I should go back to writing about music because I can't take this shit anymore, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, and you were you were gonna do more video game stuff too because that was the original sort of concept yeah. or idea of this this episode. Because I'm also like, I mean, I am I have been following music and stuff more lately than I have been really following any game stuff. Partly because like last year, a lot of uh, interesting games, most of which I didn't play because I don't have like a, a new console, um, came mm. out. But this year, it's like kind of slim pickings in comparison. It seems like um, it's at at the like um, as far as like like AAA is concerned. Anyway, um, right. I've sp I've spent so far or like currently, I'm only really playing the 2016 Doom and. Uh, I'm on Bayonetta 2 right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm playing, I'm not playing new stuff. The only new like things that I've, yeah, the only new things I've seen people posting about is like Far Cry 5, which doesn't seem like a good game. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm avoiding that. <laughs> uh, well, that and people that I'm, uh, God of War, right? Which I've also. Oh, I, I never, I didn't like those games. I, I only barely liked those games when they came out. And I think that's like one of the, the quote-unquote franchises that I feel like is the most dated to that era of when it was originally from, from like 2005, right. 2006. That game just has an aesthetic that I feel so snobbish thinking this, but it just has, it's like, okay, it's nature-y, uh, I don't know, I'm not into this. <laughs> like, the closest I've ever gotten into that kind of game, funny enough, is uh, like a Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, yeah. Or I guess, I guess like, Turok is that too? I don't know. I that like aesthetic Turok. of entertainment. I don't like like naturey muscles. Got to do stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I like. Yeah, I don't know. I think part of it is I grew up with a certain era of games, but I'm like, I'm just like endlessly researching PS2 games because I have a PS2 here, and I'm like, oh, okay. this one's weird. It's like you know, cell shaded or whatever. It has like a weird mechanic or like a PS, like that stuff <laughs> appeals to me like more than stuff that comes out. Even if I did have a new console because of the, like the, the um, 40 hours of gameplay is a threat rather than a promise uh, sort of mindset. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a phrase from uh, the Catamites who's a game designer, but uh, that was one of my favorite uh, ideas. <laughs> If you have oh wait, if you have PS2, please tell me you're playing Final Fantasy X too, because that's my. <laughs> I, I'm not because I'm not playing anything ah! right now. But but uh, my I have a friend who's really into my friend Nina Freeman. She's she's that game is her aesthetic. <sighs> Such a good game. That game is great. <laughs> I don't know, but the 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 like broader thing about video game stuff is like. I'm doing this video game shit for a while, and it feels like an insular world, and I'm frustrated. Um, and then, like, slowly, I see, like, reality bending itself to, like, fit into, to, to, to like, video game stuff just, like, has grown so massively and encompassed so many other aspects of rea reality, like, silently. Like, Twitch is bigger than Netflix. Um and um like video games youtubers are the biggest youtubers and like they have more views than like a network sitcom um and like 
that's the that's the weird thing to me is like um video games like really like have actually huge impact on our culture right now in a in a weird way but like the discourse is uh mostly like most of the popular discourse is mostly still ignoring that or like kind of vaguely acknowledging it this is it, it sounds to me uh it makes me think a bit of hip hop i'll say in the first half of the 90s where it's like this clearly it's not even well I'd say the second half of the 90s where it's not even an emergent thing anymore it's just here and it's huge and yet it's still early enough that all of the writing about it is bad (laughs) and every yeah everyone's still pretending that grunge is a thing but grunge is obviously like on its way out (laughs) right that's the stage I feel like that's the stage where video games at are currently is basically where rap or music criticism was with regard to rap music at the end of the 1990s well yeah and after the end of the 1990s like rap music became popular music and it has stayed that way for like you know almost 20 years now right yeah i mean i think i think we're gonna be seeing a lot more of jake paul in the future (laughs) and like those types of people than we are going to be seeing like you know the celebrities that like Kanye or Beyonce or 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 big actors especially. I don't know. Like once there's a sorry, go ahead. No, I was I was gonna say once once Christopher Nolan casts Jake Paul in something, that's a rap. It's a rap after that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling. I'm calling it. That's how it's gonna happen. That's how the real sort of like middle brow elevation of Jake Paul is gonna happen. Christopher Nolan. Well, that, see, and this is the thing with, like, Ready Player One is they're trying to, like, you know, they're trying to slowly, like, preempt. They, like, they know that this stuff is taking over culture, so they're trying to, like, preempt it in, like, within the context of, like, you know, the Hollywood studio system or whatever um, before, you know, the people, the new media sort of hubs come to dominate and and make these industries um uh redundant i don't know it's it's weird because i lived in the bay area and like the bay area is a place that you know like obviously i knew tech was a big thing there but you don't see it mythologized in popular culture to the extent that you do with la or new york obviously um and then moving to la it's like of course i see all these billboards for these tv shows and stuff um and you know like all that stuff is um you know the the movie industry the tv industry is here um and yet like culture seems increasingly defined by like things that i was around and experienced in the bay area and not like actually here so there's like all this mythologizing around particular aspects of popular culture that feel less like they're shaping culture um then you know other things that still are going largely unacknowledged in like the popular consciousness and i i find that very weird right it's 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 almost as if despite it is a weird phenomenon of despite how much media um throws popular culture like basically 
devours and regurgitates and redevours popular culture all day and like spreads it out all over all of us as consumers there you would think that that would mean that popular culture like when you log on to twitter for instance felt comprehensive in some way and it, it feels the opposite of that right it feels like i don't know whenever i'm reading coverage of music or coverage of video games or anything I, i'm always just thinking about like what the blind spots are like yeah. everything feels incomplete and it's because yes. the things that dominate are so dominant that even in a theoretically infinite sea of content it's just clear that like there are only really six things <laughs> that like are part of the mainstream narrative of anything and then everything yeah. else feels it's like well, mirages i don't know it's yeah I, I noticed that with like with like uh so being in video games like you know occasionally there's like an acknowledgement of like film or something in the most like you know clumsy way um but you know i was frustrated about how little it interfaces with other aspects of culture so you know i'm looking towards music criticism in particular and like it's weird because coming through game stuff now i'm like you know i know firsthand that um usually like the best selling things on bandcamp for example are like indie game soundtracks or like chiptune albums um and these things are tremendously popular a lot of people listen to them and yet they are not acknowledged by all, basically any music publication outside of like weird outliers um like tiny mixtapes occasionally or or things like that but um and that's something that's weird to me it's like why can't you include this in your conversation and there's this increasingly like siloed off attitude it's like no we need to preserve our canon it's like fuck your canon like canons are <laughs> stupid like i have problems with canons in video games that's why i like want to play games that people say are bad just to just to say that this game is actually good <laughs> or like <laughs> that that's why like um because I used to follow, like, the opinions. Like, with music, it was the worst. Because, like, music, you know, you have all those, like... I mean, it's, like, p the Pitchfork recommended stuff, obviously. But then you have all those, like, lists of, like, you know, a thousand and one albums you have to hear before you die. And, like, you know, canon, et cetera, et cetera. So you listen to these things almost out of, like, obligation. Because, like, especially when I was younger... Um, and still male presenting um i like the identity was like okay if i'm a music nerd i have to know about this uh i have to know and so that i don't embarrass myself in conversations with other music nerds or so that i understand something that i didn't understand before and that impulse is is fine that's a good impulse but like after a certain point i came back to it and i was like actually this conversation is kind of bullshit like um, it doesn't help me actually appreciate music on its own terms. Um, and I don't even agree with like half of the like, you know, accepted canon opinions. Um, and I mean, I feel that way about games too. And games don't even have like an anti-canon, <laughs> um, like, you know, everyone accepts that, you know, certain games are you know the, the the pinnacle or whatever and it hasn't like changed that much but um and that's why i like do stuff with like you know that's why i wrote like this huge article about like 
some doom mod that like you know 10 people cared about um or you know i wrote a bunch of stuff about wolfenstein 3d which is a game that like a lot of people you know credit as like they're you know anytime that someone talks about wolfenstein 3d um it's like uh well this is the game that launched first person shooters but it's not actually that fun of a game or whatever um and like for some for me that that like I spent so much time around that game that I just, you know, I have to challenge those opinions. Um, but it's not even challenging them on the basis of like, you know, I'm trying to be contrarian, although sometimes I am. Um, but it's more that like, I don't even see like my experiences or uh, whatever even represented by this like discourse. So it's not even good at like pretending to represent a breadth of like experiences that people have it's just this kind of weird exclusionary um rhetoric or ideas and i feel that more and more with music like now where there's a lot of underground artists who i feel like are making things that are just as interesting if not better than often what's get what gets covered by music websites um and they're not really acknowledged as part of the music sphere or doing anything that is of any real relevance or significance um, then I have to like, just, I don't know. I have to, I'm kind of disgusted about that. Like I, I knew this, uh, somebody I know on Twitter was posting this meme about like, you know, like avant-garde young kid album preferences. And it, you know, it was like, it was supposed to be a joke that was like making fun of like a stupid hipster or whatever, you know, who liked Yeezus more than my beautiful dark twisted fantasy or like who, who like, you know, it was always like, you like the se the second weird album more than the critically acclaimed one. And I'm like, I agree with like half of these. <laughs> this is supposed <laughs> to be a joke, but it's like, yeah. And, and the fact that like people present it as like, uh, uh, like oh my god like it's so silly that somebody would think this this is this is too far it's like no it's not too far let's let's go let, let let's like go to that that place in the distance <laughs> that, that's far that's far down there uh and like really think about it i don't know because like that's the whole thing with like with like someone like kanye west like he's totally politically just doesn't totally insulated like has you know a lots of bizarre opinions is this kind of sort of trolly facet of like popular culture but when he says that like he is taking chances in the public sphere to a degree that other people aren't like he's right or you know i i at least think that he's right and like i think that oftentimes um these fears are defined by how conservative uh, people are are, and how little people are willing to go sort of past their bubble or their sort of insulated uh, world and to engage with the idea that like maybe this idea that I have about reality uh, is incredibly complicated or contradicted by this thing that I wasn't aware of and yeah. It's interesting to me because I, I guess I would say a surprising amount of critical discussion feels like consensus mongering, if I'm describing what you've been describing, mm. right? So it's like, it would be one thing if you went onto, um, it, it would be one thing if you went onto a 
Super Mario World. No, that's not even Super Mario. Let's stick with Kanye for a second. It'll be, if you went to a website, <laughs> it's either like Super full, Mario World or Kanye. Kanye. It's, it's, right. it's one, went, one or the other. If you went to a Yeezus fan forum and went in and said, Yeezus fucking sucks, and everyone turned on you, or like, or even, you know, you know what, let's use My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy since that's more of a consensus album. Like, if you mm-hmm. went to a My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy fan site and went into the forums and were like, Yo, this album fucking sucks. If everyone turned on you, like the context would explain it. It's like, oh right, I posted this at a fan site for the thing that I have some contrarian take on. But the weird thing is that you'll get that exact reaction if you just post it like in a general community of music critics, right? There, there is this need, there is this harsh and impulsive need to draw lines in the sand that seems so out of touch with what criticism even is and what you would assume that would would draw a person to want to be a critic or want to be around critics in the first place, right? Like, why would anyone want to be a critic just to reinforce, like, stale critical narratives about things that were established in a lot of cases before they were even born? But that's how a lot of... I don't know. I do feel like that's how a lot of mainstream critical communities operate. They're just sort of asserting and reasserting things that they assume everyone already or most people already clearly believe about a thing. And that thing could be my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, or it could be Super Mario World, or it could be Drake, or it could be any number of um, Mm -hmm. capital P popular things. Well, okay. So when people call you or me cynical... Uh, you know, for contradicting, because I know that that's the thing that you get called sometimes, and that's the thing that like people are like, "Wow, you're so cynical." Is <laughs> why well, I get called uh, a hater. I get called a yeah. hater. I think okay. I think that's the specific term I get, but cynical too, sure. Like, what is more cynical than uh, putting yourself into a career where you're basically subscribing to a consensus and you're your main role is to maintain and defend that consensus. Like, isn't that the most fucking cynical thing ever? In my mind, it is. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Especially because in a lot of times, like, that consensus, I would say in the in the post, like, BuzzFeed critical ecosystem, right? It's like, that consensus in 99% of cases is the consensus that whatever faction of the recorded music industry wants you <laughs> wants the consensus to be so it's not even like enforcing consensuses that are um legitimately like rebellious or anything it's just like enforcing consensus that's mostly just like friendly to big record labels and like massively revenue generating artists that's and, what's and- sort of yeah and and there's very little interrogation on that and i think i think maybe that's part of it is like we need to preserve this culture attitude and like we need to preserve this this culture this from the wilds of the internet that are going to corrupt everything and make everything into memes or whatever um you know maybe maybe that's part of it that's like it's like a conservative sort of mindset it's also like a we don't want just anyone to get involved. You have to live in New York <laughs> to, to uh, get involved. I don't know. Like, um, I mean, this happens in other fields too. Like, I'm thinking about one example in video games. There's like this game called Shovel Knight. That's like a um, 
you know, a, a very cl- a critically acclaimed sort of retro throwback platformer. Um, yeah. But I had multiple people be like, oh, the level design in that game is really good. And like, no, it's not. It's it's not. It's not good. <laughs> it's not a good game. Uh, it's an okay game. It's not good. I, I don't really think the level design is good, you know. But like, and, and yeah, if you challenge that idea among certain people, they'll be like, you know, no, you're wrong. Like, you're crazy, you know. Um, so it happens like in all spheres. But I think video games are a little bit more chaotic. <laughs> um, although it does, it does still sort of tend towards uh, let's defend this big franchise or this big company. Uh, and uh, <laughs> there's more variable takes on something that's smaller, but the bigger something is, the more people want you to have a consensus on it. And the only way that you can really challenge it is by saying it's like sexist or racist or whatever. Right, that's... right. That, that part is totally true. That's the only way to sort of short circuit. Oh, God, that is true. <laughs> Which I, I could just be like, no, it's it's bad. It's not sexist or racist particularly, or maybe it is like but in wait. one in you know a limited way. Um, but the reason why it's bad is you know it's not <laughs> well designed or uh, it's not in terribly inspired, and maybe the critical landscape just decided to recognize it because that's just what what there was or whatever. I mean, I feel that way about like that whole. Uh, post-punk revival New York scene from like the early 2000s like the Strokes and stuff like I hate most of those bands Um, but but like music critics like as a whole like really wanted to make that a thing so it became a thing I'm I'm glad you brought up Shovel Knight because you were mentioning before that just compared to last year there's sort of slim pickings a little bit with newer newish video games but i will say a second thing that sort of led me to not play as much this year is so for instance with shovel knight i guess was last year is when i when i would have when i would have played it on switch and i avoided it and i started having this spidey sense that now i have with regard to all games like including god of war which is thinking like if if it seems like the sort of top level gaming discourse is really into a game I just I I lower my eyes a bit and I'm like I don't know I bet this game actually secretly sucks <laughs> and I can't shake that now I don't know I don't know where it came from but I just uh, you're rubbing off on me I feel like is what's happening <laughs> uh, no I think I think you're right I mean but it's my like you know cult like influence war. yeah it's <laughs> true I mean, but like, I have this I, impulse all the time where it's just like I'll look at I'll look at the game that it seems like the the gaming consensus is rallied around, and I just I, I can't even articulate it sometimes. But it's just like I don't know. I bet this I bet this is some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I was around game stuff enough to where I tried to like dig my feet into the ground a little bit more and like make a, a thing about it. And I think people were more interested in hearing that maybe at a certain point um, than they are now. I don't know what's changed exactly. I think like the the culture itself feels like it's um, bigger. There's a lot more people. It's not as small. It's not as small like the people who are having the conversations. And like Gamergate happened, so now like I mean, and this is another way that like I feel like society is echoing 
uh, things that happened in like the the gaming sphere in that like I feel like the ways that people are reacting to Trump or sort of the ways that I saw people react to Gamergate <laughs> um, it's it's a little it's it's different obviously but um, yeah like I, I don't think things necessarily got better at all <laughs> um, and people just got weirdly more freaked out and defensive about stuff and um, sort of doubled down on things and uh yeah i don't know it it's kind of bleak to me in that like there are last year especially i felt like there were so many cool games and stuff that were coming out that just sort of passed by um and that's definitely not going to be the case for <laughs> forever especially you know as um because of the market saturation and everything else people have less money in general to spend on these things um, the dedicated gating, gaming audience is going to prioritize, you know, something like Far Cry 5, even if they don't like it. <laughs> like That's the thing. Like, I've seen so many people who don't like that game who are playing like, this is my second time playing through Far Cry 5. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's uh, self-care. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I have to I have to care for myself by like d consuming this thing that I don't really like. <laughs> Yeah. Because I have to have opinions about it because I have to feel validated by having opinions about it online. And if I have opinions about this other thing that is maybe more deserving, um, that doesn't matter because I'm not validated by having opinions about that because if I post about it, no one's going to care because it's not in the discourse or whatever. I will say, and I avoided Far Cry 5 as well, that discourse was disappointing in a in a weird roundabout way to me. Because it was like, oh, well, finally, finally, games journalism brings its actual critical faculties to bear on a game, but the only, but only because, in a very obvious, blunt way, the game has like bad politics, right? Instead of what you were mm -hmm. saying before, of like, well, that's the only way in which you can sort of short circuit uh, what otherwise seems like kind of mindless and/or arbitrary standing for bullshit is like. If you if you just make it clear that a thing has bad politics, then people can work it up, work up their critical faculties and sort of pan it. And and that, that's that's one of the issues I have because sometimes something with bad politics can be like wonderful. Like I said, my favorite Kanye West song, and this is like probably a <laughs> contrary opinion, is that song "I'm in it" because it's I like love it. Yeah, because it's it's so messed up. Like the the lyrics are like weirdly racist. Like they're not uh like that line about um Asian sweet the sweet and sour sauce line and the yes. right sign line are both on that song. Yes. Uh and um it's like try it's I think it actually is trying to be sexy at some level, but it's not. It's like weirdly gross. It, it's like it, it, it's it doesn't sound like you know it doesn't sound like so many popular songs like maybe are a little gross about how they try to be sexy but like there's nothing like sexy about this track it's just kind of like a horror movie um and i don't know if it's even self-aware or not it's really hard to say <laughs> um but it's like for me it's like the perfect embodiment of like all the horrifying and compelling things about Kanye West's character um his persona right. um and it's like also more musically in interesting than a lot of other things like you know like one of his um 
Like one of his most well-known and well-regarded songs is the song Runaway, but then it has like a five-minute part where he's just going, ah, ah, <laughs> you know, and like... <laughs> That was great. I really liked that. I liked your cover of <laughs> Runaway on this podcast. Well, like, he probably was singing that because, like, autotune can make anything sound good. Right. He's not a singer. That's okay. Not everyone's a singer. It's fine. <laughs> um, but, like, that, and that's something that, like, you bring up, people will be like, ew, no, like, I don't want to acknowledge this. Like, this is, this is awful, like, actually, that. And and weirdly reactionary that you would be uh, reappropriating the imagery of like civil rights or whatever in this. Oh, and that that same album also "Blood on the Leaves," right. which is like you know you think it's going to be like this meaningful song about race relations in America or like you know um, how things aren't any different now than how they used to be, and it's about like how ex-wives can be bad. Right. Uh, I think those two songs are the best songs on the album. <laughs> I'm in it and Blood on the Leaves are the best songs. Yeah, well, and it's because it's interesting. And the reason it's interesting right. is it reveals something about his character. And, like, in in a way that's like, no, you can't take this on its surface. Because if you take this on its surface, it's kind of like... And, and people, like, really want to interpret it and, like, want to, like, be like, okay, this is, like, meaningful in some other way. Because if you read it on his face, it's like, wow, this is really weird and kind of messed up but like i feel like that's we should be like acknowledging that and engaging with that like uh with any sort of popular uh figure um because um i think like great art doesn't necessarily uh it doesn't instruct you on how to live it doesn't even necessarily provide um, I mean, sometimes it provides a cathartic experience that you can really connect to emotionally, but our idea that you have to identify with something is really messed up, and I feel like it makes it uh, our ways of interpreting and looking at media um, kind of our priorities are messed up because there are things like that that um, are weirdly more insightful in a way but like obviously you can't identify with the protagonist and that complicates like you know uh kanye west is a is a, a public figure and it complicates so many things but I, I that's just really like a case study for me but like i think it's like especially as like somebody who i'm like a critic and i'm also trying to understand like something about this these things that aren't reflected by popular discourse or whatever i find like i tend to find moments like that like way more telling than you know the the full you know um when things are like supposedly fully realized or or um you know in this ideal form where you can identify with it and whatever Right. I mean, I think that's what I would other. That's what I would broadly describe as the tyranny of relatability that I think really defines a lot of 21st century American popular culture. Right? Is that it's that very hard coded. I mean, I guess in, in rap music, right? Like if you think of the the biggest rap careers of the 21st century so far it is Kanye and Drake and 
those are two artists who specifically just to 11 their whole thing is that it's not just that they make great songs but it's they, they're gaming this millennial relatability index and the whole point of those songs in a lot of cases even at Kanye's most antisocial and even at Drake's dweebious is that you're supposed to identify with those personas and I do not like that as a place where because I think that plays into a lot of other things right like it's why it's easy to reduce an artist in their art down to their politics it's why um, it's, it's why it's hard for uh, it's it's why I think it's hard for a lot of artists to take risks, right? Because you, you're responsible for managing this sort of umbilical cord that connects you to the fan. And the thing that the fan is looking for is this sort of perfect, if still universal, recreation of themselves in you as an avatar. I mean, it's very video gamey in a way, mm-hmm. but it, it just seems like an unhealthy especially like once you get deep enough into the 21st century and it feels like artists are gaming that relatability index and it just feels like so much art is being made not to be sort of formally or technically impressive, but rather it's just being made to be like, don't you see yourself in this? And it's just like, (laughs) I do not escape the idea of like escapism as a place is a thing I do just to confront myself is like weird. I find that bizarre. Well, and I don't and, like and it. The number one complaint about the sort of popular charts, the popular music in 2016 and 2017, or sorry, 2017, 2018. God, I don't know what time it is. Um, is that like, it's all this like weirdly mellow stuff with no real hooks. And it sounds like so just sedate and kind of like, all this like weird mood music that isn't really necessarily well conceived. Maybe maybe acts as like you know this like come down from the chaos of like our culture and society. But I I think of that in terms of like Drake songs. It's like he's not even, like that song God's plan. Like he's not even trying in that song. Like uh, it's still like a decent hook, but like it's not necessarily like well conceived I, I wouldn't say I mean not that music has to be um, yeah that shift but... is interesting because it's like it's like if last decade the biggest rappers on earth were like Joe Budden and Devin the Dude right like it's it's just just the 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 apotheosis of depressive and or very artfully low effort <laughs> It's just, yeah, or it's, it's funny. I mean, that's the aesthetic. I mean, I like that. Fra- I know you don't like Frank Ocean. I I like that um, Frank Ocean album from what? To, what Blonde or Endless? Which one? Blonde. Okay. Blonde. Um, I like got into that, but that's the aesthetic of that album too, very much. That's a that album does. I mean, I feel like that album does a better job of capturing it, but it does have that like that is that kind of tossed off mellow thing. Um, I think that is like the aesthetic of the past few few years, um, which is kind of weird. I don't know. I don't. I don't relate to a lot of the stuff that you're supposed to identify with, either. Um, 
So I have a hard time with that. Maybe it's just my like ways of engaging with stuff is a little different. But it's it's also frustrating because um, <laughs> you kind of risk people reading things so much literally if you're like a musician or, or really any sort of artist doing anything that seems like it might be well, I mean, people assume auto something is autobiographical almost no matter what from a musician. Uh, but like, um, if you're singing as a character and maybe the character is kind of messed up, like then people tend to uh, assume that that's <laughs> you or whatever, uh, and it can be really hard to actually. Um, under you know, like actually see the art for what it is because I mean some a lot of my favorite musicians um may not necessarily may or may not be good people I don't know I don't know who they are but may make music that sounds really messed up like I think one of the reasons why I like death grips <laughs> is because it's not relatable like it's it's just like it's it's dramatized it's like it's like a, the Nicolas Cage of uh, <laughs> of <laughs> of music or whatever <laughs> jesus christ the nicholas that's my that's my sense of like of jedi mind tricks right like i remember when i was in college and got into jedi mind tricks i think it was that exact same process in my head of like i like this specifically because of how out of touch i feel with it right like it's 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 accessible to me on a highly abstracted level of like music you listen to and you have a lot of anxiety and it helps you sort of process that anxiety and vent because it's all just like violent and vulgar mm -hmm. but it's also like well I hope these people aren't like serial killers <laughs> like I hope Vinny Paz isn't like murdering people <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> to the degree that it sounds like he would if he's anything like his music yeah uh well, but and that's, that's a real the... thing, and it and that's totally yeah. that's a that's a dynamic that's kind of I don't want to obviously people aren't stupid, but I just mean in a general sense, it feels like a dynamic that's totally lost on 2010s popular culture and arts criticism, right? Because yeah, there is a sort of weird literalism that kicks in among critics now and among just sort of consumers now where it's like you said it's the it's the extreme end of people taking music as autobiography and yeah i i think that's always kind of been the case though honestly um it just like is maybe heightened in a particular way now i don't know yeah. i feel like uh in our, our culture in particular in the west and in the u.s in particular excuse me um it is like that is the default mode of operation as a like you know i i remember showing a friend blade runner and and they were like i don't like this i can't relate to the characters and i was like yeah i know <laughs> 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 like you don't like i don't like harrison ford's character in that movie either yeah um, or like The Shining or something. I, I don't know. Those are two of my favorite movies with no, with no relatable character. I guess like I guess The Shining has Scatman Crothers, but then he gets killed. I uh, I will say it's like I'm 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 black, and I I think in general when I was a kid I would have that reaction to, or even when I was in college I would have that reaction to, 
let's say white movies all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't relate to any of these people, so maybe I'm just used to that. Like I don't know. I, that's a thing that it's. I guess different people have different levels of like how much relatability is like crucial to their ability to really patch into a a piece of artwork. But yeah, I've just like so, not related to things my whole life, I guess. Yeah, like people watching like Friends or like <laughs> Sex in the City or something and being like that's me, that horrifies me. That <laughs> that horrifies me. But if it's like if it's from the angle of like wow, these people are weird, like what is this? Like what are these like values that these people have? That's actually more interesting to me cuz then Correct. you can like you know, and like I I've heard that uh, I've heard that like Friends is inexplicably popular in the UK right now, <laughs> but maybe part of it is that's like it's it has this like comfort of a sitcom, but the characters are just alien enough to those pe- you know to people in the UK to to where they're like you know they like it more or whatever. Right. <laughs> this uh this dude uh who I've had on this podcast before uh Doc Future um made this uh youtube video which is really wonderful about um uh it's a it's an alphabetical list of of black characters that appear in friends uh (laughs) or and it's like pretty much all of the like black guest stars that have ever appeared in friends um (laughs) and it's and um what i find interesting about it is like he like does this thing where he references memes or things from other videos or things that are very specific and very insular to pop pop culture uh and then we'll make another video about it but there's no like explicit reference to that other thing like um um he did like a song cover version of like this specific thing that's in a friends episode that like appears um, but I didn't know that that was like a reference until like later, um, because there's no sort of context for it or whatever. But I, I liked that because like he has like again like an outsider perspective. Like I think he actually genuinely likes Friends, um, and he adds. But I think he has this like outsider perspective on it that is like uh, makes it more interesting to me than if I were trying to watch this and relate to it. Uh, because I never, I like, I watched that show as a kid when it came on, like after The Simpsons or whatever, but I was always like, this show is weird. Like, I don't really like these people. <laughs> I watched it obsessively. I watched Friends obsessively as a kid. But I did, I watched it with that sense of, the only, specifically the only character on Friends that was super accessible to me, although I think I grew up to be more like Chandler, was Joey. Joey was the one character where I was like, oh, okay, this is the the <laughs> this is the the grounded main character for me. <laughs> guy funny. obsessed with food. <laughs> it's kind of dumb. I was like, all right, I get this guy. The rest <laughs> of these people are weird, but I get Joey. <laughs> yeah, I... I... <laughs> What a show. <laughs> what a time. What a time. Oh, <laughs> Pre-9-11. <laughs> this is a whole different country before 9-11, culturally speaking. Yeah, I, I actually... Um, I had a... Um, I'm having this moment now with music, actually, where I'm going back and I'm enjoying, like, 
So I, I had like, and I don't realize how much I think I sort of fit into the trends of like the the 2010s by doing this. But I had this period where I transitioned and like was dealing with sort of seeing reality in a different way. So I'm like starting to be like, okay, I should finally like listen to like Tori Amos or whatever and like take this <laughs> stuff seriously and not like, you know, be afraid to listen to it. And so I got really into like, you know, I, I mean, I first got really into like Kate Bush and Tori Amos and Bjork and like a few other artists. But then like from there, I'm like, OK, well, I, I kind of like electronic music. So like, let's listen to Apex Twin or whatever. Um, and then from there, I'm like, OK, well, I kind of see the connection from like electronic music into like hip hop music. So I, I'll, I'll listen to that like some more. You know, or I'll like I kind of understand the appeal of pop music now, so I'll listen to that. Um, but but now a lot of like pop music is so uh, kind of bleak and uninspired that I'm kind of going back to like, wow, this I kind of miss talking about this like weird, silly indie band from like the 2000s um, who, because uh, while like you know they were like super white guys who like oftentimes oftentimes it's like uh this like weird utopianism or whatever that i don't relate to like one one group that i've been listening to a lot recently is animal collective and like i do like their music a lot up to a certain point but um i don't necessarily like a lot of things about their what they represent or their fan base or whatever but going back and listening to it, it's like, oh, wow, this music is actually kind of weird. And it's cool that, like, you know, music websites were all over this, even though, you know, there are elements of that, you know, that are whatever. Because that, that's what seems so bizarre to me, that there would be this critical consensus now about music that is kind of so weird or idiosyncratic or whatever and isn't, like, is on, like, an indie label, isn't wildly popular. Because I feel like that's missing from um because i that kind of music i still see it come out but i don't see it like you know widely accepted or widely embraced in the way that you know maybe some of those artists that were a little bit kind of alternative or off the off the beaten path like uh were so like i'm almost like at this point where i'm like regressing or at least trying to like see the appeal in these things that I had like in the last you know seven or eight years decided to dismiss um and so that's been interesting I don't know where I was going with that but <laughs> I I think it's like indicative of how much like landscapes change right. um yeah maybe that's why um, I that is probably like in general um, as I sort of switch back and forth between being like, I'm going to write about politics. No, I'm going to write about video games. No, no, no I'm going to write about music again. No, I'm just going to write about like Atlanta. <laughs> and then just doing that in cycles is because like the, I don't know. I, you know, it's like this sense of landscapes are always changing and I've never really known where I fit ideally. Like I, I don't have this sense of like, Oh, I have this overwhelming expertise in this this particular field that makes it such that like if I'll camp out here and 
write enough and research enough and talk to enough people in this one field that I'll write authoritatively. Like, I don't really have any sense of authoritativeness about me, right? Like, I, I mostly write with this sense of, um, I either write with the sense of, like, I'm just looking for an excuse to spend time with the subject and maybe talk to people about things and then mm. produce some journalism about it, or I'm writing with the sense of moral clarity about a thing that doesn't even necessarily require the wonkiest of historical expertise so much as it just requires somebody to have I think clear clear-minded ethics about a thing that people otherwise are having sort of like convoluted and, and non-confrontational ethics about but yeah I think the, the consequence of that is I never really know where I fit where I should fit, where I would ideally platonically fit in the current media landscape. And I don't know if that's like a good thing of like being adaptable or whether that's a, I'm creating like a weird ceiling for myself. Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a short term versus a long term game gain because like a, a lot of uh, careers online are very directed towards the short term. And the way to build like a short term audience is to, concentrate very particularly on one thing on one subject on one sort of like discipline or whatever and present yourself as an expert on that um but then you run the risk of that thing suddenly not being popular anymore or the discourse sort of shifting around it and then you're kind of in a place where you're like you kind of have to invent reasons for people to care about you know whatever you're writing about which a lot of people certainly have um, and the other side of that is is the long term thing, which is like saying like, well, the more that I interact with these aspects of culture, the more that I see how they intersect with each other, and trying to be more of a generalist, like acknowledging those things. There's like, that's not something that is encouraged by the structures of the internet. Um, but I do think it's a way to preserve your sanity maybe a little bit more um, because you're a little bit more aware of how these things are intersecting with each other. Yeah. Um, so I think it's like, I think more people should be thinking about long-term. Like, okay, here's one example. Like, um, if you are a critic, if, you know, if you're worried about society and culture going the way that it's going and like you know the world being annihilated and and all that kind of stuff that people are anxious about today um one thing that you can do like especially if you're a critic or someone like that is is to kind of stake out your own territory and be like look i'm just gonna do i'm gonna try and make something new like i'm gonna try and like sort of create a new way of of looking at this issue or like sort of make a new um, category or sort of recontextualize things in a way that no one else has done before. And, you know, for me, like I got into games doing that at a time when that was a part of the norm um, to some extent. And part of that was the like Silicon Valley, like disrupt, we need to disrupt everything kind of <laughs> attitude but like and that's the thing that's how they that's how they suck people in because there's no other aspects of society where that that idea is prevalent where that idea of like 
I have this one really good new idea and uh, I'm going to change society with it. I'm going to change the world. Like Silicon Valley really like brings those people in. I mean, it's totally like a cynical business, especially at this point. Um, but I feel like we can, we should like take that idealism and put it towards something else. And like, you know, the obvious is like, you know, community organizing and, and all that kind of stuff. But Nope, it's going the... to the moon. We're going to the moon. <laughs> it's not community organizing. We're going to the moon. That is Exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, the less obvious is um, because media is like our culture, like, and, and people see themselves through media so organizing changing the way that people conceptualize reality is part of that it's not the only part of that it's not like one of those things where it's not like that attitude of like you know if you change art in to be this this fully in touch art it will somehow magically change people's minds and make them less reactionary or like you know whatever like it art can like awaken people to that stuff but it has to happen in the context of a bunch of other things but the other side is like the the realities aren't just like these these hard statistical political realities and uh giving people hope through just changing the ways that you're approaching and thinking about things and 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 making sort of new territories or paths or inventing a new language is is a way to do that and i i like i definitely aspire to do that and there's a lot but there is a lot of hostility towards doing that and there's also a lot of like like this attitude of like well no one's paying attention to like no one will pay attention to my writing if i do that and i guess the the like response that i would have to that is like like if <laughs> if you're in the, if you're part of like the the sphere of popular discourse like what you write is generally of so little consequence anyway <laughs> And like, um, especially if you're part of a conversation that a lot of people are having, a lot of people are framing things a certain way, uh, um, doing this thing where you're kind of cynically just trying to get through and stay on top of an issue um, by echoing whatever consensus, maybe in a slightly different way, um, is one of the most cynical things imaginable. And like, you might as well like, try something different you might as well like actually try to take on something that maybe people aren't gonna read like fuck it maybe people maybe no one's gonna read it but at least you started it like at least you did it and like i don't see enough of that like because that's what starts things like that's what and that's why i wrote like a fucking <laughs> piece that took me ages about a fucking russian doom mod because like no one else was going to start that sort of conversation and maybe not that many people read it but the more that you sort of put those things out there i have seen how those things can change culture and um i i think like people need to understand that they actually do have like responsibility and power even within their like limited spheres i'm sorry to get all uh philosophical or whatever but this is you should, this is you should put music on the on the background of it. it's very inspirational right yeah <laughs> like every episode of this podcast has turned into me giving an inspirational speech at the end of it <laughs> listen listen it's, it's good it's helpful we're all we're, we're supporting each other through positive podcasting <laughs>
<laughs> I was gonna like ask you about that childish Gambino thing because, but I felt like I felt like I didn't want to broach it right away because it's like again, it's like an issue that like everyone has to have opinions about. No, let's talk about it. What what about childish Gambino in particular? Well, I found it funny that like I remember in like 2013 or 14, he like made this post that like social media activism is whack. And, like, a lot of people were like, yeah, whatever, man, you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, you know, and then Atlanta came out and people, you know, sort of changed their their takes on him. And, like, also his music, like, I feel like the perception of his music was a lot more mixed and a lot of people didn't even know what to what to think of it um, at a certain point. I will say, well, I'll say that, like, unlike what we were saying about Taylor Swift earlier in our convo where that was just the it felt like totally revisionist takes happened overnight I don't even think there's been a revisionism with Donald Glover so much as there's just suddenly a know-nothingism about him where it's just like everyone especially anyone who's like anyone who has access and is like a profile writer and writing about this guy they basically are laboring under this like maybe unstated maybe un maybe stated agreement to just pretend that 2010 to 2015 donald glover never happened <laughs> right like that seems to be it it's not even revisionism well, so much as it's just he was erased yeah. from the jedi archives well and then he appeared in star wars and then right, everything's yeah. okay because he's in star wars right, right. i mean i feel like that's often how these things work <laughs> um like uh, i i it is funny to me the amount of people who care about Janelle Monet now, and I wonder if it's just because she was in a few big movies. I don't know. I like I like her. Mu- I like her music, um, but she's somebody who I almost found more interesting. I don't want to be a hipster about this. I almost found her more interesting as a figure before she got like super duper famous. Um, See, I have the opposite take on Janelle, which is that I really just. Uh, in in, a, in an almost shameful sense, found her music boring and tell dirty computer. I just for, for I spent a lot of time uh, trying to convince myself that I liked the the previous two Janelle projects, and they just never actually did. They just sort of sat in my iTunes library for like long periods of time. Well, it's it's a little bit more. It's like the problem that a lot of artist i feel like it's a little bit too detailed like it's a little bit too flowery musically mm-hmm. a little bit too like virtuosic or whatever i feel like that's an often a thing that artists have like earlier in their careers um that like things are a little bit more flowery and complicated before they get um before Streamlined? They down. Yeah, yeah i think solange had that exact problem where it's like you can tell like solange has a lot of musical knowledge but i feel like solange's albums before the one she put out last year maybe it was two years ago at this point we're just like yeah there's too much going on here i gotta step away from this and and yet the one where i'm like oh i finally get solange is the one that feels very focused Mm -hmm. you know well Um, that's a yeah that's a common thing i mean that like that's true of like that's true of like like kate bush's music is kind of like that um it gets more stripped down the further you go into it um, or David Bowie is another example. Like his early music is very like eight million chord changes. Um, <laughs> then, then he just turned more into like weird dance music. But um, <laughs> I'm kind of 
have mixed feelings about David Bowie in general. But anyway, um, the the thing with the thing with him that I found kind of funny is like, yeah, I I like when Atlanta came out, I I tried to get into him and I watched like some old special about him and he made some like gross you know rape joke, um, which is like you know common for <laughs> like every comedian. But I was just like, okay, he's just another comedian then. And, like, I watched Atlanta, and there was, like, one episode, like, about, like, there was, like, of some beef with, like, a trans person, and I turned season. it off. Yeah, in that first yeah. season, yeah. It was, like, the fifth episode, sixth episode, something like that, and I, like, turned it off, like, at the beginning. And then I heard, like, later on that that episode, there's, like, some resolution there. But, like, I, I think I was, like maybe overreacted a little bit but you know when i see like a comedy show trying to deal with uh trans issues in general i tend to be like oh no this is gonna be bad (laughs) um but um i i think the thing that i find funny about this is how like impeccable his timing was with like releasing that video um uh after sort of everyone became disillusioned with kanye west um because everyone's like immediately like okay don it's 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 donald glover now like he 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 knows like and the thing is like like i i i actually really like that video like and it and it it was clear that like people didn't really know what to think about it like when it came out cuz i saw like more negative takes like the first day and then the second day like people were like analyzing it and then i saw all these like really positive takes about it um and i i was kind of I mean, I think his sensibilities are pretty, like, cinematic in general, and, like, the music fits well with that. Um, And I don't know, like, I think I was just enjoying the fact that there was something that not everybody had the same feelings about (laughs) that people were talking about. Um, Because it's, like, I can relate to that of being, like, um, you know, being, I'm in the space where my relationship with like the the trans community is or the queer community is extremely complicated and i have a feeling the things that i do might piss a lot of people uh in the trans or queer community off but then also uh you know make other people feel like their rage is um being realized but uh, the other side of that is that yeah there is like a an element of that it's kind of like weird empty reactionary trolling too um so i i don't really know but i i guess i i enjoyed with that whole spectacle that um you know something that is there is something that is provoking people in a way that it's like not provoking this like universal love um i don't know what was your what was your take on that oh i mean it's weird i don't know that i have a take I don't know that I have a super strong take on the video or the song itself. I, I mean, my sort of basic take is that I think the song is good, and I think the video is certainly think the video is captivating. The people who reacted to it with the sense of this is offensive, I, I definitely that was not my the first couple of times watching it. That was not my reaction to it. <clears throat> I feel like I understand. I feel like I understand where people are coming from with that mm. um, on some level, but. Yeah, I didn't think he, unlike a Con- Kanye, like I didn't think he was just trolling. I didn't, I didn't think he was invoking, you know, images of the Charleston massacre, for instance, as like a yeah stunt. You know, it it no. wasn't it wasn't in the spirit of Jesus. 
it was in the spirit no, of Kendrick, I, I, if anything. Like, yeah. It's, it's more yeah, Kendrick no, than Jesus. It's, it's more like actually has something to say. Right. But I also uh, think it's, it's, you're right about the timing. Like it's, it's the timing is, I mean, he was always scheduled to perform as an SNL Saturday night live that date. And I guess that release was always pegged to the Saturday night live hosting gig that Donald Glover did. But um, yeah, there, there was a weird, there's a weird quality to how for the past month, Kanye let everyone down and it, it's it's almost comical the idea that like Kanye turning into like a right wing grandpa who spends too much time on YouTube disappointed everyone in ways that I assumed would teach everyone a lesson <laughs> about the political significance and the political credibility we imbue on in random celebrities. And instead of learning that lesson, people just sort of immediately cast about for a different celebrity to vomit all of that political significance onto, and they found it in Donald Glover. I, I guess the thing about the timing of the video, it's like the timing of Donald Glover hosting SNL, Donald Glover being his own musical guest, Donald Glover premiering two new songs on SNL, and then him releasing the This Is America video, right? Like, this all happens in one weekend. It happens in a weekend that's like, the weekend where people are probably the most exasperated by this point with Kanye sort of tweeting obsessively about like Candace Owens and Jordan Peterson. And like, there's a sense in which I think people, people maybe look at Donald Glover and Kanye and think, Oh, well they're just, they're interesting black all cheers and sure. But like Janelle Monet is interesting in similar ways. Beyonce is in similar ways. is is similar in those ways well yeah you're you're an auteur if you're a guy <laughs> right that's the thing right that's that's exactly it right there's this sort of it's not people i think explicitly talk about it as if they just want um the the, the black successor to kanye but what they really want is a sort of cynical rude you know black male capital g genius figure to I think serve as this bridge between black culture and white culture. And I don't know, the thing that Kanye and, and Donald Glover have in common, as, I, as far as I see it, the thing that they really have in common on a sort of subliminal wavelength is this sort of obsession with, they have an obsession with white culture, right? Like they just, they have an obsession with white culture and with white validation in ways that a Janelle Monet does not or Beyonce does not. Like Jay-Z doesn't have that quality, right? The person who has that quality that Kanye has where he's obsessed with white people is Donald Glover. And his re, I mean, Donald Glover's rebranding has pretty much sort of purged that from his narrative. But it's a thing that I think beneath the surface people recognize about him and they know that for every measure of satire and sort of scathing uh, political critique of whiteness Donald Glover offers, they know that in reality, like in reality, Donald Glover isn't really going to hurt white people. Like Donald Glover is not really going <laughs> to, he's not really going to challenge white people, but so much in the same way that like Kanye is the guy who 
announced <laughs> at a telethon that George Bush doesn't care about black people. But it's, it was also always the case that you knew that Kanye was obsessed with white people and he was obsessed with Steve Jobs and Anna Wintour and Mark Zuckerberg oh all validating God. him in this way that yeah. he could say the craziest shit about George Bush and it doesn't matter because you know he's a guy who at the end of the day wants white audiences to love him and he wants to be compared to white people. Well, and I think this is the, the general... The, the, the whole conversation comes back to the idea of like being being legitimized through some sort of like oh god i'm gonna like quote the um uh in that uh documentary um the pervert's guide to ideology uh that uh, by slavo Zizek, yes. he, he talks about this this idea called the big other which is like basically that there's this sort of benevolent force out there that um that you're speaking to um that is like um that i don't know that has like the um that has the the best interests of the public in mind or whatever that that there's like this invented idea of um that a lot of people i feel like i i felt this way when like the thing about grimes dating elon musk is a lot of celebrities fucking love tech entrepreneurs because they present this idea that this like different sort of reality is possible in in a way that i feel like is kind of cynical and like uh very you know business oriented or whatever but um the the way to legitimize yourself in society like um is by sort of taking on the the traits or whatever of like you know whatever dominant group and culture that you're not part of so like elon musk is dating grimes because he's a fucking dork and people don't think that tech people are human <laughs> are humans and and not just robots uh so it's probably like a partially calculated move on his part to like um you know date a celebrity who's more glamorous or whatever and on the flip side someone like kanye west like really desperately doesn't want to be seen as an entertainer he wants to be like an entrepreneur because that's the the way that you are you are taken seriously um but like there's this idea that there is this some validation that comes from these things but if you like i mean if you hang out with like tech entrepreneurs like you actually like hang around those people those people are just like so insufferable like <laughs> they they like there isn't any like sort of changing the world or transforming society that's really happening there 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 might have a a handful of good ideas but like there there isn't this like you know genius insight that is that is somehow missing or whatever and i think that like especially if you come from a particular marginalized group um you come from a certain background you might think that like you know the dominant culture or the dominant sort of uh the dominant group um have the answers to these things that that you lack or whatever or like that that are missing and like unfortunately the answer in reality is they don't like there's no there's no like legitimization to be had like we actually uh, part of the reason that our world is so fucked up is is that our priorities and values um are not 
really echoing reality um and, and they're not really echoing like um how things actually play out in reality and the things that we value so like putting on those things is not something that you should be striving to do but i understand why somebody in that situation who really wants to you know be taken seriously in a way that other people aren't um would would do that because like uh being being trans it's also like trans people are so not visible in popular culture that if i were ever even visible at all then it feels like you know to a wider audience than it feels like this massive big validation thing because you're doing something that maybe hasn't been done before in that way but at the same time like that validation is kind of silly because it doesn't really like <laughs> it doesn't really reach so many people who are doing things that are are actually changing society and culture for the better who will probably never be acknowledged um so yeah, I guess that's my thought on that. It it does feel like even since we're talking about Elon and Kanye again and Grimes, it's like those people all do as much as they seem like this cast of characters that stand like far over us. They also just seem trapped in like how you're describing Kanye. They they're as lost in the sauce as anyone else, and they are trapped in. Like, it's weird that that level, like, if you think of it as an upper level of society, it's weird that being at that upper level of society really just, it doesn't actually give you uh, an improved vantage. It doesn't really give you, it, 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 it only seems, if anything, to, to further obscure, like, your sense of power and your sense of um, reality. And you end up, like you said, you end up being Kanye, wanting to be compared to and wanting to be branded as an entrepreneur for reasons that are probably totally mysterious and obscure to him personally right like he doesn't actually like gaining influence and power has not given him insight on how to wield influence and power it's just made him a more confused person mm -hmm. uh, and that that seems like a very bad <laughs> parable for for the potential of ever reorienting uh, American society from wanting to go to Mars to wanting to think about community organizers instead. Well, <laughs> maybe like my hope that I don't necessarily think will play out in any sort of short-term capacity is that people will be able to start identifying this pattern and realize that like oh maybe this is reflects culture or society at large and as of yet um that that kind of interrogation doesn't really happen by the way um, that's the weirdest that is the weirdest i will know. say as a broad strokes thing that is the weirdest element to me of working in media as a critic it's like you know what it feels like it's like being trapped in a Scooby-Doo episode that never ends, right? Because it's sort of, <laughs> you keep collecting clues to the things that are wrong with popular culture and how those faults in popular culture lead to faults in political culture. And it seems like so many different figures and so many different fields fail in some way or falter or disappoint us. And each time that happens, they're basically leaving a clue but American society right now is like 
stop, we have like 2,000 clues at this point, but no one's really put any of the clues together. <laughs> That's what it mm-hmm. feels like. It's, you know, it's like maybe maybe the the ways in which people had these hilariously blinkered and over-invested, over-determined expectations of Kanye West politics, like maybe that has to do with the culture that also elected a game show host president. <laughs> it's like maybe these things, maybe it's not just conservatives who are lost in the sauce. Like, maybe the problem is America in general. <laughs> yeah. You know? But people yeah, never think like I, that. They always think like they, it's it it is the children who are wrong, right? But it's 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 someone else who's wrong. And the problem is isolated to some part of America that the only thing we really know about it is that we don't necess- that we just don't identify with it. Or it's some faction that we our main observation of it is that we don't identify with it. And that's well, I, I, yeah. I guess what I would say, and we can we can really end here because I feel like it's a good place to end around this subject. Is that um, I said this at the end of like the episode that I did with with Felix uh, Biederman too. I I feel like culture is constantly changing, and there are some aspects of culture that have you know become more and more like. You know, we see stuff from the 90s that keeps popping up, like people, <laughs> The Simpsons somehow has become a perpetual <laughs> thing that exists. And, or, you know, there's a lot of different cases of that. But but things always change, like, and um, I think the ways that we look at these things and approach them will change and eventually especially as people become more tired and exhausted about how things are and like this is the kind of moment where i mean i think about like in music how you know the musical landscape was a certain way and then like fucking nirvana came out and then like you know hip-hop became a bigger thing in like the early 90s and that kind of thing really did actually change the culture um a lot and I, I think that kind of thing I mean it's happening more slowly and more gradually and more under the surface but like um, there are these sorts of shifts that happen and it they pro- it's something is going to happen things are not always going to be the way that they are right now and so we should like think about what kind of like future <laughs> we want to like envision um, and not get too stuck in the present because a few years from now we're probably not going to be thinking about this I mean most people don't even like most people didn't remember that Donald Glover said that social media activism is whack or whatever like people don't remember that kind of stuff um, for the most part um, I mean people probably remember Kanye wearing the Trump hat but (laughs) 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 Um, the point is that like things change all the time and like it's important to like have that perspective and even in our current like geo hell like um there are many things that are going to happen before (laughs) before the end right oh god it's like it's like the end of it's 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 like the end of persona 5 it's like i wish this would end but it it somehow gets worse and worse Um, Thank you so much for for being the first time, second appearance of a person on this podcast, Justin. No problem, Liz. The Honorable Justin Charity. Oh, my God. Yeah, out of here. (laughs)
<laughs> uh, did you have anything else you wanted to like say or plug or whatever? No, not really. Listen to Damage Control. You hear me vent on my podcast with Kate Nibbs at The Ringer. But otherwise, I don't know. Find me on Twitter. My name, Justin Charity, is my Twitter. I don't have a cool nickname anymore on Twitter. Um, or don't follow me on Twitter. I tweet pretty sporadically and usually... Um, I don't know, Liz. You should describe my tweets. My tweets are kind of like your tweets, I feel like. We tweet in a similar style. Yeah, I tweet probably more. I, like, thread it, you know, make threads well, you more. you doing those threads. Yeah. I, I noticed your threads. Yeah, but but other than that, like, yeah, I, w- I would say. I don't know. Like, the fact that you tweet sporadically is, is, is a good endorsement, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for being on. No problem. Thanks, Liz. Okay.